Hi, it's another episode of 21st Century Boys. This is Joe Crawford. And Crawford. And we actually have a couple of guests this week for our Halloween episode. We thought we would give a treat, hopefully, rather than a trick. But we've got uh, my compatriot from DC Everything Else, Kirk Spencer, here today. Hello. And also, we are super lucky to have the wonderful X-Lapsed and Cosmic Treadmill host, Chris Sheehan here today. Gentlemen, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, so we've got a hopefully fun topic that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be covering X-Babies, the miniseries that came out in 2009. And before we really get into it, we want to talk about maybe a little bit of our histories with some of the properties that are involved with this and maybe some of the background that's involved with this. So... I was looking up the, some things and I was wondering, you know, how do they get like the idea of X babies? And Chris is going to talk about that in a little bit. Of, and uh, I kind of surmised maybe, you know, one of the things that was going on in the zeitgeist, if you will, is a lot of stuff was getting babyfied in the 80s. So I looked it up. Muppets Take Manhattan was the first appearance of the Muppet Babies. And that same year, they launched a series on TV, the Muppet Babies cartoon, and that lasted almost eight seasons. And, you know, there was stuff like Flintstone Kids. And, Chris, you were saying, what was the other one you mentioned? The Pup pup Called or Pup Named Scooby-Doo? Yeah, Pup Named Scooby-Doo. So, like, babyfying seemed like it was a thing going on. And uh, so I wondered, you know, maybe if that was kind of where they got the idea of, you know, let's have ex-babies. So how did the uh, ex-babies come to exist, Chris? Well, you know, one thing, uh, the Muppet Babies is actually a cartoon from the uh, Marvel uh, studio. Oh, that's I true. I remember at the end of that, you'd have uh, the Spider-Man kind of kneeling down on the big, uh, you know, Marvel whatever it was, Marvel Pictures or Marvel. I don't remember what it was, but I remember Spider-Man was there, and I was very excited every time I'd see that. But uh, now, as for the X-Babies, you know, when, when anytime the X-Babies comes up, I think um, X-Fans of a certain vintage will all kind of roll their eyes and be like, oh, that's oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I can understand that. I can totally understand that. Um, I, and I can kind of I kind of go hot and cold with the ex-babies. Uh, I remember when they showed up and we'll talk about it a little bit as we go through their history here. I remember it sh- they showed up right as I was about to walk away from the X-Men the first time back in like 95 or so. And I was just like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And uh, it really uh, helped me to uh, to walk away. Uh, of course, I've kind of softened on it then. Yeah, I, I'm, 
I, I was a very cool 15 year old at the time. So uh, <laughs> well, everybody cool was right at 15. Oh yeah. Yeah. I knew, I knew better than anybody, you know, Scott Lobdell, what are you doing? You know, it's, it was <laughs> insane, but let's talk about where these characters came from here. They first appeared in uncanny X-Men annual number 12. This was the 1990, nine, sorry, 1988 annual. And it's the backup feature in the evolutionary war tie-in. And, um, well, your mileage may vary, but it might be the only part of the issue actually worth reading. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, they were created by Chris Claremont and Arthur Adams. Now, the X-Babies were created following the apparent deaths of the X-Men in Dallas during the fall of the mutant storyline. And Mojo was upset that his top ratings getters were gone, and so he decided he needed a replacement. And um, the uh, that's what plays out in this uh, backup story, and the story's called I Want My X-Men. And so did the way okay. Mojo worked, did he basically like just like show on television what was actually happening with the X-Men? Is that how that worked? They He had uh, replaced Psylocke's eyes with uh, like cybernetic eyes. OK, so he was uh, he was actually, you know, filming their exploits through her eyes. And Got it. Uh, but then when they were assumed dead, the uh, one of the things that happened when they were assumed dead is that they could no longer be picked up on camera. Right. So, like, any surveillance would not see them, which is how they were able to, you know, kind of work in secret. And everybody thought they were gone. So, I guess that extended to Psylocke's mechanical eyes. So, Got uh, it. Okay. Yeah, so she, they were gone. They're, they're, that was their top ratings getter on Mojo TV. And, uh, well, you, you need to fix this. You need to find a way to get back. And this story, it's very fun. It's also very meta. Um, now, after fretting about how to get his top stars back, Mojo is advised by Ricochet Rita, who is his sometimes compatriot, oftentimes prisoner. Um, she says, hey, why don't you just make your own X-Men? To which he says, oh, I know. I'll make my own X-Men, which is, is pretty <laughs> cute. Uh, we get a cameo by the actual X-Men creative team here to figure out how to go about doing this. So Chris Claremont's there. Arthur Adams is there, Bob Wiasek's there, Tom Wozikowski, Glynis Oliver, and uh, Bob Harris with his uh, with his trademark five o'clock shadow, which I think that appears to be his only main characterization feature. And <sighs> maybe an explanation as to why so many characters in the 90s seem to have forgotten how to shave. Don't know. Maybe they were getting their Harris going. Now, <laughs> Claremont does that thing where he complains about his creati- creations being exploited, which is fun because that's what we always hear about Claremont back in the day. They want to do New Mutants, and he's like, no, no. You want to do an, you know, a uh, X Factor, and he's like, no, no. This is, you know, him playing that up a little bit, which is pretty neat considering he also wrote the story. Now, before he could finish his thought, Mojo shrinks Chris Claremont's head to baby-sized. So, <laughs> there you go. Now we get one of those really fun casting call montages, which is like right out of the 1980s, you know. And uh, they're always pretty neat. And the first thing we get is an all-female X-Men team, which it's not to say just the girl members, but like girl versions of all the male X-Men. And uh, Mojo ain't feeling it. Then we get Transformers X-Men, so maybe mutants in disguise. Uh, Mojo hates that too. Then, uh, hmm, uh, maybe we'll just call them the Fishnet X-Men, which is uh, very Claremontian. And uh, Mojo says no. Next up, we got funny animals. So we got Longshot there. He's a he's a very stylish bird. Uh, Storm is a cat, which I might be thinking too hard, but it might be a callback to her original black cat design from uh, from Dave Cochran back in the day when he was trying to sell her to DC. 
We got Colossus as a metal gorilla, Rogue as a skunk-striped badger, Havoc as a rabbit, Wolverine as a bulldog, Dazzler as Miss Piggy, and uh, Psylocke as a weasel. Or maybe she's like a parakeet in a weasel's body, uh, because not many people know this, but Betsy had some body swap issues uh, throughout her time as a uh, character. It's it's a big secret. Nobody really knows about it. They never, ever, ever mention it. So, anyway, so is Wolverine being a Wolverine, is that too on the nose? You know, I, I maybe maybe it's like I mean, have you ever seen a real life Wolverine? It's I'm, like no. It's like you can look at it, you'd never know what it is. It's just right. like a mass of fur. So okay, it's like, gotcha. Yeah, I think a, a bulldog works, and uh, I, I think he has the uh, the stogie sticking out of his mouth. So yeah, you could see a bulldog smoking a cigar, right? That's Tom and Jerry stuff. Oh yeah. Now from here. We get many other versions presented, but unfortunately, we don't get to see them. And they include skinny X-Men, fat X-Men, giant size X-Men, tiny X-Men, musical X-Men, dancing X-Men, fish X-Men, insect X-Men, X-Apes, and mime X-Men. And finally, the young, proud, cantankerous, and mighty X-Babies. And they are in the form of Rogue, Wolverine, Dazzler, uh, Havoc, Storm, Colossus, Psylocke, and Longshot. And Mojo loves it. But he hates Longshot, so he zaps him away right off the bat. So he zaps him, and Longshot turns into a headshot, like like a celebrity photo. And uh, folks who are reading the Xbox now, it's kind of funny because Headshot is the name of Mojo's current year streaming service, Headshot TV. I, I, I don't think there's anything about that. It's just <laughs> something I noticed. Um, now, you mentioned uh, the Muppet Babies thing here. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know that that's right or wrong. But the way I took it is that uh, I think Claremont, you know, he has a little spiel in the beginning talking about exploiting the characters here. I think maybe seeing the babies as like. Thing, the biggest way to sell out, you know, on right. the X-Men, what can you do? Lowest maybe, common maybe there is denominator to, kind of thing. Sure, sure. Maybe yeah. there is something to latching onto the trend at the time. So maybe it's right. a little bit of both. But um, yeah, they are they are babies, and uh, that's basically the whole intro story. Uh, they would next appear in a prestige format special called Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. This was 1989, also by Claremont and Adams. And this story actually picks up a thread from their first appearance, wherein Mojo is literally trying to brand the babies with his trademark. Like people are literally chasing them with giant TMs to brand them. <laughs> Um, then with help from Kitty Pride, the babies pull up free will, as well as the release of Mojo's longtime prisoner, Ricochet Rita. Then our heroes go into hibernation for a bit. I mean, this is 1989. We're not going to see them again until 1995. And this is that story I was talking about. A yeah. two-parter in X-Men Volume 2. This is issues 46 and 47 by Scott Lobdell and Andy Kubert. Or Kubert. How do we say that? I, I, every time I'm on a show with somebody and... Kubert or Kubert comes I'd out. I defer to Kirk on that one. Hit us, Kirk. I say I say Kubert and Ron Randall, who was one of the earliest students at the Joe Kubert School, said that I was saying it correctly. So perfect. That's all so I need. Ron to hear. Randall gives me his seal of approval. I feel okay about it. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Then I'll never have to answer. I'll never have to ask that question again. So that's a good thing. Now, uh, this feature uh, in X-Men Volume 2 is more of a 90s take on the babies. We got a bishop, a gambit, an iceman, and an archangel added to the group. Next, now this is an interesting piece of X-Ephemera. They show up in an issue that I've friends with plenty of X-Men completionists. And this one book 
if they know it exists, quickly becomes the bane of their existence. This is Wolverine number 102.5. It's I, I think there were like uh, like a thousand copies of it printed. I mean, you can't oh, find wow. this thing anywhere. Um, and in this story, the ex-babies join up with Longshot and Dazzler to fight off Mojo. Uh, Mojo 2, actually. Uh, Mojo 2 showed up in, I think, Scattershot, which was the uh, big X-Men annual crossover from 1991 or 2. I think it was 2. From here, they got some one-shots. I mean, really, this is a very, very spotty history. There's not a whole lot to say. We had pint-sized X-Babies number 1, August 1998. This one saw them fight against Mojo and Arcade. We had uh, X-Babies Reborn, January 2000. Now, this introduced the Mighty Avengers, which is, uh, you know, the Avengers, uh, like Captain America Kid. Um, And an explosion of X-Baby and Villain Editions. Really just filling them up. And we're going to, when we get into the story we're going to be discussing today, there's going to be a lot of that as well. A lot of cameos here. Then we get a very, a very minor appearances in X-Men Unlimited. Issue 32, September 2001, as well as issue 37 in September 2002. And then they go away until right now. Okay. So one thing I guess we should talk about next, and this is not going to be a spoiler or anything. Anybody knows anything about the X-Babies. And that's the appearance of the star comic characters. And so the first thing I I want to ask, Chris, you were the cool kid. Did you ever have any star comics? Yes, I had um, droids and Ewoks. Okay. Those are the ones I had. Uh, but the Star Comics came out when I what that was 1985, so I was five years old. So I wasn't really buying comics on my right. own. And if I was, I'm not sure they'd be the Star Books. But right. uh, but yeah, I, I, it's like one of those things that I missed. I, I missed by a hair and didn't okay. really get into it. So what was your what was your first book again? My first book that I bought with my own money was Vision and the Scarlet Witch number eight. Okay. I have no idea why. <laughs> it's not it's not spectacular. It doesn't have a great cover, but I but I bought it. That's, and that's that what the second series, the second series. Yeah. The yeah. 12 yeah. issue. Yeah. Right. The one that I, used to be 10 cents an issue and now they're like 20 bucks an issue. Right. Well, yeah. you know, a popular TV show will do that for you. They had a TV show. Yeah. yeah. I know <laughs> you don't. You don't do TV. You don't do. OK. <laughs> you don't do TV and you don't do movies, but you knew Little Shop of Horrors on your show today. I'm just telling you, you've seen some movies. I've seen some. They're okay. the proud the few. Yes. All right. So, Kirk, what kind of what's your history on, on Star Comics? There was a house ad promoting them. I want to say it was even a two page ad promising that Star Comics are coming. Get in on the ground floor and they offered a subscription. And I was a collector at heart and an excited reader, and I knew some of the properties, but especially Heathcliff, because I, I assumed the cartoon was out around that time, but I knew him from at least the comic strips because my grandmother would save me some of them where she lived and send them to me. So I became a charter subscriber of Heathcliff, and I was in on the ground floor, and I purchased all the first issues when they hit the newsstands. And I enjoyed all of them, but the budget of a young collector buying comics from the newsstands, I wasn't going to be able to get all the star comics. But I had my subscription to Heathcliff, and I started buying Top Dog every month. And I think I bought the Get Along Gang every month because I liked the cartoon. 
Yeah, I think this was the era of the 65 centers. Is, am I right? That sounds right. I think it started at 65 cents. Right. Yeah, the, my first one was uh, Top Dog. Oh, gosh, I don't remember if it was uh, it was it was in the first four or five issues, but it was the cover Top Dog. I know who you are, and the big hairy knuckles pointing at him. And that was one I found right before a, a trip we went on. I would pick up a couple of comics before we start a trip. And, and, and invariably, you know, if it was a good trip, you're going to pick up some more on the way. But that was right. one of the ones that that started me on the trip was that that issue of Top Dog. But yeah, I think uh, that's I, the first issue. Yeah. I, the only other ones I really remember, uh, I had Thundercats number one because that was a hot one. I had the Mad Balls because it was a three pack at Kmart you could buy of the uh you know, three, three, three book, uh, three uh, books in a bag. I don't even remember how much it cost, but you know, it was probably remainders they were just trying to get rid of. And I had Chuck Norris, and what was the other one? I want to say maybe a couple of the He-Man's, which are long gone now, sadly. I don't know what happened to those, but yeah, I, I didn't really get to read the Star Books until probably about the same time you would have first read them, Jack. And Jack, when, what was the first time you read any of the Star Books? Oh, like. 2011 or 2012 it was like the star collections that came out like in 2009 2010 and we went to books million and me and him got one okay so that's what i think that's when i actually first read the the first round was yeah that collection the all-star collection so i was pretty late to the game for most of those characters but kirk sounds like you were there basically ground floor till the end yeah, for the most part, I, I I look back and I wonder why I was buying them because they don't really fit in with a lot of what I was collecting because I didn't other than maybe Sad Stack I didn't get a lot of the all ages stuff. Sure. And I'm thinking maybe it was because it was at a time where I was like a early late tween, early teen, and didn't really want to grow up just yet. So uh, you know, here's a way to hang on to your youth by collecting Mad Balls and Oh yeah, Top Dog mm-hmm. and Heathcliff. But uh, I. I really have a sentimental spot for this line. It's just something that I wish was still around. Something well, I can I, hand to my kids and read. I, I think with the, the monthly stuff, there definitely is kind of a dearth of this kind of thing. I think kids at this point, and Jack could tell me because he was that age not that long ago. You know, I think the bulk of what kids read now is either going to be like the the graphic novels that are by Scholastic and that sort of thing, like uh, Amulet and uh what's the name Raina Telgemeier smile and all those or manga I think a lot of times they go straight to the that sort of thing instead of the monthly issues you know but anyway let's talk about how we got star comics and how did Kirk get his hands on his first one so the idea was Harvey comics which some of these creators came from and you know Harvey was Richie Rich Casper the friendly ghost Wendy the witch etc and sad sack actually they went on hiatus in 1982 so Marvel decided you know maybe we should try to get these properties so they offered them 3.2 million and Harvey declined just imagine what a juggernaut marvel could have been because this would have been in the era they were trying to get dc books too right wasn't it chris a little bit after this yeah okay well just imagine what if this is we should have a what if comic book company (laughs) you know because if what if marvel had licensed superman and gotten richie rich and they would have had doggone near everything except for the licensed properties 
and Archie at that point if they if they've been successful. Sure. That would have been crazy. And that's probably a good thing that didn't happen. Anyway, Harvey mm-hmm. said no. And Marvel decided to launch Star Comics in 1985. And that was kind of to fill the gap that was caused by Gold Key, who is also no longer publishing at this point. And Harvey no longer publishing comics for younger audiences. Initially, comics kind of had like a graduation. You went from Harvey and Gold Key to Archie to Marvel and DC. And, you know, some people might argue after that, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, to indie books like First or Eclipse or as I learned today, Comico was that right, Chris? <laughs> you know, that's. I, I think I said that like eight different ways on the Maze Agency show. <laughs> we always Comico, said Comico. Yeah, we always said yeah. Comico growing up. But, uh, I always said Comico, and then well, somebody yeah. said, "No, dummy, it's it's Comico, like Comico, Comico, the comic company." But I think it was Matt Wagner. Somebody said somebody that would have been in early on said, "No, that's not how we pronounced it." Yeah, Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so the star line was going to be overseen by Tom DeFalco and former Harvey editor Sid Jacobson. It's been about two years in development, you know, because the initial offer was in 1982 and they didn't get launched until 85. And Lenny Herman and Warren Kramer were were, uh, writers and artists from Harvey were brought in to create and manage the line. Unfortunately, pretty early on, uh, Lenny Herman actually passed away. Uh, the initial line of comics were mostly licensed properties like Fraggle Rock, Strawberry Shortcake, Ewoks, Heathcliff. And I believe the very first one was actually an adaptation of Muppets Take Manhattan. Once again, that Muppet Babies license. And mm-hmm. Jack was pointing out a, a minute ago, like a Muppet Babies as well was a very popular comic that they did. Yep. See, so the other goal was to create a stable of characters for the line as well. And then they brought in other than uh, Kramer and Herman, they brought in Bob Bowling who's probably most famous for creating Little Archie, and he came up with Wally the Wizard. Uh, Herman and Kramer created Royal Roy and Planetary. And Harvey didn't like this. They're like, these properties are way too close uh, to stuff we've already created. They said Royal Roy was too much like Richie Rich. And they came up with an argument that Dollar the Dog was uh, basically top dog. And I don't know. I personally don't see that, but whatever. Um, well, they're both dogs. That's about all they have in common. Mm-hmm. They don't even look alike. Uh, no. Royal, Royal Roy, I mean, obviously because it's the same artist, kind of looks like Richie Rich, but I, I don't know about the top dog one. But Royal Roy's head is a lot more proportional to his body. That's true. Yeah, Richie did have kind of the big head action. Yeah, Richie had <laughs> some encephalitis going on or something. <laughs> That, that's because he turns into Casper after he passes, right? Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, regardless, Royal Roy lasted uh, six issues and then got canceled, so they dropped the lawsuit. Uh, around 1988, uh, Star Comics just got absorbed into the Marvel line. And the main reason for that was, you know, newsstand distribution was still very important at that time. And it was easier for them to just market Marvel Comics. So I think Care Bears were still going at this point, um, uh, maybe ALF. So they just started putting them out as uh, just Marvel books instead of Star Comics. And uh, Jim Shooter was gone, so uh, yeah, I think his true. he was big into the imprints. Yep. Yeah, because like New Universe, uh, yep. and once once which, uh, once Jim's gone, that's pretty much it for them. Mm-hmm. So. 
So the four that really are, we're going to focus on, even though Spider-Ham does make a, a kind of a guest appearance in this, is Planetary, and Top Dog, and Royal Roy, as well as Wally the Wizard. So just a real quick breakdown before we get into the issues. Planetary was created in, by Herman and Kramer. He was basically an orphan, and he was on a quest to find his parents. And he had, uh, you know, been on the spacecraft that gets launched. They are behind a la Superman, and uh, they lose their kid. That seems really bad way to lose your kid. You throw him in a spaceship and launch him. It wasn't like their planet was blowing up like uh, Krypton, but anyway. So he has had some subsequent appearances, um, and which has made me buy these books that I wouldn't normally have bought necessarily. And he was in Drax and as Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think what they have in common, I think that was Colin Bunn did both of those. So maybe he was a bit of a planetary fan or just thought it was funny. I'm not sure which one. I think he's a fan. I think he's a legit fan. Nice. I, I, I think it holds up pretty well of the four. Uh, if I had to rank them, it would probably be my second favorite. Um, Top Dog, also created by uh, Herman and Kramer. He's an intelligent talking dog. He befriends a human child, Joey Jordan. And he goes on to live with Joey, who promises not to expose the fact that Top Dog can speak. Do The duo, they kind of have basically like spy adventures. They chase some criminals sometimes, mad scientists, that sort of thing. But the whole thing is uh, Top Dog is undercover. And uh, he actually continued a little bit past his series because he was popular enough. And he hung out with uh, Heathcliff and showed up in his series a few times. Royal Roy was also a Herman and Kramer creation. He uh, ruled over the nation of Cashalot. And that's going to be a little bit different in the story we're going to do. But that's what it originally was called. Uh, he was surrounded by wealth and luxury, but he wasn't spoiled by it. He was a good kid. And that's probably another thing like uh, Richie Rich. You know, Richie was always kind of goody goody, even though he had tons of money. So I think that's well, he sold another grit to get there. Yeah, that's true. You know, so he had he, he was very earnest in his wealth. He, he earned right. it the hard way. <laughs> so he's this normal kid who has, you know, million dollar bills falling out of his back pocket. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's a great salesman. <laughs> right. his, his friends live in par- poverty. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, I hate to bring this up because we're not supposed to talk about him anymore, but it didn't ever bother people that the Huxtables were this like upper middle class family, maybe even just upper class family. And the kid who comes to play over with them is not from a upper class family. And they named him Cockroach. And the little other little kid was named Bub. (laughs) Come on. We should have known something was wrong with the man when he was doing that stuff. (laughs) Anyway, that's another good 80s show. Wally the Wizard created by bob bowling and uh this was i don't know about you guys he's kind of my least favorite i actually like the update they do that's coming uh, a lot better than he starts but um while he was a wizard apprentice who was learning magic from marlin the magician because you know marlin to from Mer- merlin mm. uh, moving on oh, that's why they got that name <laughs> yeah yeah it was clever and they lived in the castle of King Codger. Every time I saw that, I was thinking King Kroger. And I was like, man, they should have named it King Kroger. That would have been a better name. But then they have the whole King Supers and Kroger thing. Then he would have had another lawsuit after him. All right. There's our background. We know how we got X-Babies. We know how we got Star Comics. So let's actually start digging into these issues. Um, for three of us, this comes from the X-Babies Star Reborn trade paperback from 2010. Uh which was a 14.99 trade. It's kind of one of those digest-sized ones. 
Um, but Chris, you uh, read them single issues, correct? Yes, uh, on uh, on, X- on X Men Unlimited. No, on Marvel Unlimited. Yes, <laughs> it should be X Men Unlimited. I, I got it on the brain. I'm sorry, fellas. <laughs> that's, that's uh, but uh, yes, on Marvel Unlimited. And uh, does it, it have actually, a cover price on there for those? It doesn't, but I, I did the research and found okay, that there's a three dollar ninety nine cent per issue. Um, okay. And uh, surprisingly, uh, each of these stories. I, I mean, I don't think we're going to go too deep into the. Uh, Back, because there's a, there's a second story in each of these. There's a little right. bit of a a little bit of a deal there. Uh, some star stuff, and then of course the the first appearance of the X Babies in that annual, and they actually included them, the backup stories, and on right. Unlimited, which kind of surprised me. I didn't know that they would uh, do that. I was expecting I was expecting to have to like go searching for the uh, for that, but uh, it was right there. Quick commentary on that. I wonder if maybe it's just easier for them to just whatever they would be selling comicsology wise, just to dump the whole thing on X. Uh, now I'm calling it X Men Unlimited <laughs> on Marvel Unlimited. Well, that's what they're going to rebrand it as, and the, the DC <laughs> app would just be the Batman button. Oh, You're boy. not wrong, but Ooh. I wonder if it's just easier, you know, if they're going to have a digital formatted one out there for, you know, Could Amazon be. and comicsology, they just put that one on there the as same well. Same one. Yeah, yeah I, you're probably right there. Yeah. All right. Let's hear about the first issue of X Babies, and that's going to be fr- uh, coming from Chris. Certainly, certainly. This is X Babies number one at a December 2009 cover date. The story is called Stars Reborn Chapter One. Someone's been sleeping in our bed. Now, um, boy, uh, how do we say this fella's last name here? Uh, Greg, is it Scheigel? It's Scheigel. Scheigel. I had 50 50 shot. I, I will always make the mistake. Well, I wouldn't um, said Scheigel myself. So <laughs> now, how about, uh, how about our artist? Oh, I didn't talk to him. Chabot? I don't know that one. So. Chabot? Chabot? I say Shabbat, but Chabot. I'm probably wrong. So. You've been right twice so far today, so I'm going to go with Chabot. We'll go with Kirk and apologize <laughs> to him if he listens. So, yeah. uh, Colors, Emily Warren. Uh, letters, uh, Robstein. Du hast, du hast. Um, cover, Scotty Young, edits Ketchum Low Quesada, cover price four bucks, went on sale October the 7th of 2009. And our story opens in Mojo World, or at least we think it's Mojo World. Oh, and uh, this one actually is Mojo World. This is where the master of the house, Mojo, appears to have been usurped by a Mr. Veach and his young associate, Nandy. Now, they've got the big man all like clockwork orange-eyed and uh, almost completely buried in baubles of some sort i don't know yeah, what they are what, i'm just looking at it now i'm like what the hell is that they kind of look like those things i throw down my garbage disposal twice a week. <laughs> uh, now uh Veach, he informs mojo that his time choosing what's hot on the air has passed invites him to see the next phase of mojo world television entertainment and our scene now shifts to the savage playland which i think that's what they call the room with the ball pit and mcdonald's <laughs> right. maybe uh, maybe those were ball pit balls covering most that's very yeah it's all coming together it's making <laughs> sense um now it's here that we meet our heroes so let's do a little bit of roll call we got storm colossus cyclops nightcrawler kitty pride wolverine and rogue and uh they're joined by kazar and zabu and our little heroes are fighting some dinosaurs you know like you do when you're in the savage land and we can see here right off the bat that little Psych and little Wolvie don't quite see eye to eye when it comes to their battle plan, you know, same as it ever was. And uh, they also chat a bit about their ratings. Of course, these are television characters in Mojo World. And, you know, Wolvie, he's like, this is this is the best adventure we've ever had yet. And the ratings are going to skyrocket because of it. To which little Ro thinks to herself that it's weird that they haven't received any ratings reports of late. 
She even calls back to their last best adventure ever when they were pitted against the threat of Apocalypse. Oh, God. Seems cruel. <laughs> um, and how she doesn't even recall getting a ratings report from that one either. So what's up with that? Cyclops, or something, he takes it even a step further back, citing the Cradle Will Fall of the Mutants as a landmark adventure, which I guess we can assume came and went without our heroes finding out where they ranked on the charts. And uh, I guess we probably don't need to clarify what Cradle Will Fall of the Mutants is alluding to. But yeah. it's uh, it's pretty neat that the actual Fall of the Mutants storyline pretty much facilitated the X-Baby's creation. I don't know if there's anything to it, but it's it's a neat nod all the same. Now, we shift over to Rogue and Nightcrawler, who are double-teaming a T-Rex. And Rogue questions whether or not they're even still on the air. Well, Kurt's sure that they are, as they're the most beloved and merchandised Mojo World franchise going. Just then, little Sauron swoops in and starts blasting at our heroes with a gun of some sort. But then with a snap and a sizzle, everything vanishes. It's as though our ex-babies had just been been taking part in a danger room scenario, and they're all very confused. They find themselves alone in that big metal room. Well, uh, Kitty and Colossus are actually a room over, but Little Pete makes short work of the wall dividing them. After reuniting, the babies cut through the hole Pete put in the wall to discover a bank of monitors with all the new Mojo World shows playing on them. And uh, we've got we've got Alf. Well, well the corner of his face, anyway. I'm guessing Alf probably needs no introduction, but maybe I'm just dating myself. Uh, I wonder if they can only show that much of him because they didn't have the license at that point. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Alf was never a Star comic because Star right. Comics was already over. Um, now, Alf's Marvel book ran a pretty staggering 50 issues from That's March crazy. 1988 to February 19, 1992. Alf was still coming out. I mean, that's Death of Superman, Image Comics, and Alf. He and had a couple of annuals, too. He had an annual and a holiday special. Well, and yeah, what didn't he, he, like, tie into one of the big events? Evolutionary like, War. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. Now, Top Dog, you've already introduced him. Planetary as well. Uh, Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Man, makes his first cameo here. And uh, his first appearance was Marvel Tales, starring Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham number one, had a November 1983 cover date. This predates Star Comics. He was created by Tom DeFalco and Mark Armstrong. His star volume ran 17 issues from May 1985 cover to September 1987 cover. And his story was that uh, Peter Porker was a spider who was irradiated in a hair salon mishap having to do with a pig named May Porker. Oh, boy. Uh, Now, uh, Spider-Ham has almost become like a cottage industry character unto himself. There's a lot of hams running around the fringes of the Marvel Universe right now. Though, uh, to be fair, um, they only amount for like 0.5% of all the characters running around with Spider in their name. So You're not wrong. Yeah, he's, he's still a minority there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Wally, of course. Wally the Wizard. Uh, Royal Roy, the Prince of a Boy. And um, that's about it. <laughs> Back to it. Now, on one of these monitors... Our baby heroes see the, uh, the that danger room look in place that they had just busted out of. And it's as though they're, you know, they've been tricked and held prisoner. But why? Just then, another monitor pops on to reveal something called the adorable X-Babies. Now, this is like an even more cutesy take on the X-Babies. It's almost as though we've gone from Saturday morning cartoon to like toddler TV here. And uh, the episode on screen is... One of the worst things ever. It's edutainment. <laughs> it's edutainment. And in it, 
baby Storm teaches the rest of the ex-babies what a seed is and how to plant it. And this little cartoon, this little cartoon ends with them all eating their freshly grown veggies. Now, and, and Storm is straight up magified. Like, she is Maggie from The Simpsons. Oh, like, yeah. Binky and all. all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Little Wolvie, apparently not a veggie fan, he says they gotta shut this stuff down. <laughs> so, he does concede that, you know, they got that this adorable, weak version of Cyclops just about right. <laughs> and uh, this earns him an optic blast to the back of the head. And then a near brawl breaks out until the rest of the babies can uh, get the two fellas to settle their tea kettles a little bit. Now, we see here that there's a cambot floating around the room, and this entire scene is being either recorded. They, they know that the jig is up here. The ex-babies have broken out of their simulation, and so they call for a certain six-armed someone to send our heroes to station PT-485. Now, I'm not sure what PT stands for, but uh, 485 is almost surely a reference to April 1985, the launch month for Star Comics. Right. From, he- from here, we jump back to the babies as they attempt to escape wherever it is they're being held. And they find what they believe to be an elevator, but unfortunately, it turns out to only be a shaft. Once inside, they slide to the bottom, where little Row has a bit of a panic attack due to her claustrophobia. This doesn't get a footnote. But it probably should have. Um, it's like, yeah, I don't I know if you're reading this clean. It's like, why did she freak out? Though I guess this was the Casada as EIC era, and uh, maybe that was just a little too comic booky for him. He was not a fan of comic booky things. Yeah. Anyway, Storm kind of flips out and blasts her way out of the shaft, and uh, this reveals that our little heroes were actually being held on a Zeppelin of sorts, flying high above Mojo World. Psych calls the crew into action, asking Rogue to head underneath to steady the craft. But just then, Spiral appears. She reveals to the Tots that Mojo's gone, and well, basically, so are they. They fight for a few pages until the Zeppelin crashes, and Spiral then picks up the you know limp babies and tosses them into a portal. We pick up on Station PT-485, which basically just looks like the moon. And uh, from one of the craters climbs a bunch of generic aliens making this sort of feel like we're reading a current year Marvel comic, which has no (laughs) shortage of them. But we wrap up with the revelation that these generic aliens are being commanded by Planet Terry. And he is flanked by Robota and Omnis, and he invites the X-Babies to dance. Nice. (laughs) So, Kirk, what the heck happens next? Well... We have obviously learned that the PT-485 stands for Planet Terry. We are on Planet Terry's simulated planet. So issue two opens with a first issue recap provided by Cyclops and Wolverine. We get a great double-page spread. Call me Jacob Shabbat if you happen to still have that one, uh, like that original art. Featuring the X-Babies facing off with Planet Terry, Robota, Ominous, and all these cute aliens that Chris has mentioned. Planet Terry announces he and his friends like to dance, sing, and rap together. And yes, it's as bad as it sounds. Oh, That's even funny. worse. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was not my favorite part of the comic. That's, that's no, I think you may have got one of the toughest issues like to get through just without throwing up. Yeah, that that the ex babies in the garden and then the dancing and singing Planet Terry were pretty rough. Yeah. Everything else I pretty much enjoyed. And after some of the unusual singing by Planet Terry, there is a fight. The X-Babies flee to their spaceship and they escape. 
Planetary suggests to his friends that they just resume dancing, which is met with cheers because those little weirdo aliens just like to dance, <laughs> sing, and rap. <laughs> the ship the X-Babies are aboard crashes into the world of another of our favorite Star Comics characters, Wally the Wizard. Wally and his wizard mentor Marlin, not Merlin, don't get confused, originally offer to repair the X-Babies crash ship but end up instead creating an Alphabot, which is a large spelling robot, which does battle with the X-Babies. I'm wondering, is this supposed to be inspired by the Sentinels? I'm not, you know, well-versed in the X-History. I don't know if that's supposed to be some kind of play on that. I just wondered that as a casual X-comic observer. Initially, the advantage seems to go to the Alphabot until Wolverine and Cyclops team up for the dodgeball special where Cyclops tosses Wolverine through the heart of the robot, rendering him inoperable. This defeats the robot. The X-Babies make plans to track Wally and Marlin. Suddenly, Royal Roy appears and tells the X-Babies they are not going anywhere. Hashtag cliffhanger. So, real quick. Why in the world does Wally out of nowhere have glasses? I've read at least the first few issues of that, and I don't remember him. I'm, he looks like Sherman from Peabody and Sherman. Where did that come from? <laughs> he does look like Sherman. I'm not sure what the deal is, because originally when I saw that image of him, that's what I was thinking. Not not Wally, but <laughs> Mr. Peabody and Sherman. So. If you're making the care, your readers think of some other property that they might rather be involved with, probably not a good idea. <laughs> I thought they were pulling my leg here. I'm not going to lie. You get through wrapping planetary, then you get Shermanified Wally with Alphabot. And I was like, I, had, I don't know what they're doing here. Um, but luckily, you know, I stayed the course. And uh, Jack's going to tell us about issue three. Okay. So... The volume starts with Katie Pride giving a recap of the events going on, showing these little cards that kind of look like the art style for, like, mini Marvels. Yeah. We've read that. Uh, and then later on in the recap, it shows that Colossus is the one illustrating these. Then we go back to where uh, volume three left off, and we see Royal Roy telling the X-Babies to get away. While the X-Babies try to ask him why they were seemingly replaced by the other Star Comics characters. Wolverine threatens Royal Roy and Royal Roy retreats soon after. We go to the Miju, Mijo. Mojo. Mojo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mojo TV control room and see Mr. Beach saying that he is going to get rid of the X-Babies for ruining his plans. We go back to the X-Babies and see that babyfied version of Top Dog is now asking, talking to them. Wolverine asks Top Dog who he works for, and Top Dog somewhat ignores this, saying that he will help them look for the person they are looking for. Top Dog creates a GPS for the X-Babies to look for the person, and uh, Wolverine is suspicious of Top Dog. Everybody's like on board besides that, though. And it doesn't really equate to anything, because Top Dog never does anything like that. Right. He's like the only one so far who hasn't been like devious or like yeah, up to shenanigans. Nice, yeah. yeah. Uh, the GPS tells the X-Babies to go into a sewer or like next to. So they do. They continue walking until they reach a point where Nightcrawler is missing. The X-Babies continue walking on to find a Nightcrawler showing the rest of the X-Babies that there is locks blocking them from continuing. Uh, 
Rogue looks up and sees that another camera, like, bot has been watching them do everything. Rogue yells at the bot, and we come back to the control room and see that Mr. Reach is commanding Mandy to get another camera bot to track the X-Babies and find Spiral. We're transported to the rooms of the audience at Mojo TV when all of a sudden, the camera bot and X-Babies burst out of the window. The X-Babies continue chasing the camera bot, they suddenly stop when they look at the window to see that Mojo TV has controlled the whole entire world, basically. Right. Um, Colossus looks into the sky and sees that there are multiple airships. Katie Pride explains to the others that just like them, others might be trapped in the airships that could help them. Storm says that they need to be rescued, and Cyclops decides that there should be two teams. One team to rescue others from the ships and another team to distract the enemies and attack them. The rescue team includes Wolverine and Nightcrawler so far. The attack team includes all other X-Babies present. Uh, we go to the Mila to... Mojo. Mojo. That's a, that's a funny room one. Again, where Reach gets angry because they only have one camera bot following them. Because they could always like split up like they just did. Right. The attack team bursts through the, wind, the walls and runs to the beach until stopped because of something. We go back rescue team that find a magician named Wallace attacking a water monster. The rescue team appears, and the water is defeated very easily. Wolverine explains to Wallace that he is imprisoned and that they are going to break him and many other people out of the ships. We transition to the attack team again and find that the X-Babies were stopped by the miniature, more babyfied versions of themselves from the show. It showed throughout other volumes. The X-Babies make fun of the babyfied versions for a little while until they start attacking. We go back to the rescue team again to see Teddy attacking a bunch of enemies before Wolverine and Nightcrawler came again and helped him. Back to the attack team and the X-Babies are being defeated and off-put by the TV version's gimmicks because they like are weird and they can't be defeated. We go back to the rescue team again where Wolverine recruits the prince. The rescue team goes to rescue this version versions top dog not like the baby five version that helped them and the prince was royal roy basically yeah, royal. yeah he's got a different name i think they call him delroy or something yeah, yeah. and this top dog more, looks more like a real dog and stuff it's pretty cool uh night crawler transports sex babies and all the other people they saved to a lab where top dog starts interfacing with the network of the control center they're in we go back to the attack team seemingly defeated when the rescue team and its recruits all jump out the window to help the attack team defeat the big-fied X-Babies. Hawkeye and other Marvel characters, also seen as Easter eggs in the moment, they don't show these characters like being helped, but they show them coming down. Right. Uh, Wolverine starts to attack the enemies, and Cyclops tries to tell Wolverine that they can't be hurt if they haven't been able to defeat them. Then, all of a sudden, Wolverine ignores this and starts slicing all of them into pieces. <laughs> Mr. Peach starts laughing and suddenly remakes the sliced pieces of X-Babies into brand new versions of them. There are almost 40 of them, and almost double of that will appear in the next issue. Volume 3 ends. I love the Berserker rage, and everybody's like, oh no, and it's yikes, and Top Dog's like, whelp, and Rogue, of course, is the one that goes, Oh yeah, <laughs> you could you could tell he was having a little bit of fun there. That one, I tell you, that is like you're kind of like set up in that first issue. I feel like I'm being trolled in the 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 second issue, and like the third issue, boy, that is like the payoff because you're you're like okay, 
these are the characters if the star comics were being produced in 2009 this is what we were going to get not this peabody and sherman crap you know <laughs> not rapper terry that got kicked <laughs> off of barney's show you know this this is like what i was wanting and this to me was like the, the big payoff for like okay you're not making fun of us for liking star comics when we were kids I'm actually on board with this. Let's see what in the world's about to happen in, in issue four, which is my issue. And I just want to say something about the recap pages. I think recap pages, this is, you know, old man Crawford, kind of like old man Logan. They don't babyfy now. Now they make everybody old man, old lady. But anyway, old lady Harley Crawford is saying, why can't we bring, bring back the recap pages? Because this shows that you can do it in an inventive and creative way in one page, tell the story to get you caught up. It could That'd work. Be pretty great. Yep. Yeah. I mean, now they yeah, got to spread uh, two pages just for the credits. Well right. You know, and if it's a Hickman, you know, three <laughs> three white pages. Just take yep. the one white page away from Hickman and let us do a recap. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Old Lady Harley Crawford steps off pedestal. All right. So. We're on the recap page, and it's got a, this is the cutesy version of the X-Babies. They're getting to do their their recap this go-round because they've got the upper hand, as we just saw with uh, the issue that Jack finished. This looked very similar to me to how Nanny would sit and read the Muppet Babies a story on the Muppet Babies show because you yeah. see Nandy's legs. You never see her face. Yeah, you see Nandy. Uh-huh, <laughs> Annie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyway, reading the Muppet Babies a story, and periodically the babies will interject like, that's right, oh boy. You know, just like the Muppet <laughs> Babies would. So, cut to the real ex-babies. They are not happy that the fake babies have taken over their recap page, and also they're telling the story wrong. Then we break to Veach. He describes his master plan. He's going to seize control of Mojo World, rid television of noise, violence, crass and offensive humor. Ha ha ha. We'll have goody goody shows that are super boring for everyone. And the ex-babies have been a thorn in his side, sidelining his stars and releasing his other prisoners. Not only will his cute ex-babies replace them, they will now destroy them. Chapter four, All Ages Revolution. And the battle has begun. Well, it kind of begun last issue, but now it's crazy because, as you saw, after Berserker Rage, we have five million X characters who I hardly know any of them. <laughs> Once I get done with a little bit, I'm going to ask uh, Chris if he wants to interject with any, you know, that I might miss. But it's literally panel after panel of of, of cameos from X characters. Deep cuts, too. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to call them OGB uh, babies. So OGB Rogue absorbs Nightcrawler's powers. So what she does is bamf and she starts punching everyone. And the one, the first one she punches is Professor X. And, you know, just like all of us, she's been waiting to punch the professor for a long time, I'm sure. Wolverine and all of the clawed fake babies attack Top Dog. And so this is the page that had Dakin. Who all is in this page, Chris? This is a ton of characters. Oh, boy. We have a feral Wolfsbane. Um... We got Kylan. Kylan gets a spot in here. Uh, I think uh, we got Sabretooth. It, it's it's wild how many they're the the uh, ecstatics are on this page. Yeah, and, got, like, and, dead girl. I mean, where did that come from? I don't know. But speaking of ecstatics, are in fat, and Coop <laughs> looks like Slimer from the Ghostbusters. 
I, I, I will say this. Some of them are actually cute. I thought the Dakin was especially cute with the little mohawk. I mean, yep. <laughs> we, we need a baby Dakin and Dupe comic, and uh, we'll have Deadpool Merc with Manners as the narrator. But, um, <laughs> but uh, like he was, like Chris was saying, Royal Roy and Colossus team up against this, the Ecstatics. So it's basically uh, Allred babyfied. And uh, Dupe is absolutely adorable. And we get like Spider Ham once again making kind of a quick appearance. Uh, there's some more fighting while in storm with Rogue and Wolverine. They're kind of taking care of business. And this is where you get the, the, the Deadpool Merc with the manners showing up. And he's he's got wonderful things to say. Always say please and thank you. It's not polite to stare. Don't be a gossip. And a couple of pages later, cover your mouth when you cough. Don't slouch. And it's literally like that. It's not like just one bubble. He does like a string of them and Wally's sick of it. So he does a spell and gags baby Wade top dog. I've noticed this throughout the, the issues. He's kind of the one who's going to interject anything sciency or techie. It's almost like because they don't have beast in this iteration. Top dog's kind of pulling the Hanks. What Hank would do for is how I took it. Mm-hmm. And he just he'll give the analysis and he and anyway, he does the analysis of the creatures that are these cutesy X babies and they appear to be otherworldly. While they're not carbon based, they are the most indestructible thing he's ever seen since Adamantium. Uh, Planetary and the gang are just getting overpowered and X baby after X baby keeps appearing. So while this is all going on, Veach and Nandy are overlooking the fight and Spiral ter- teleports in. Cyclops sees Spiral come in and he comes up with a plan. Roy and Rogue ride Top Dog and rocket at Spiral. Rogue knocks her out and absorbs her powers. So uh, using her powers, Rogue creates a portal to disperse the babies as far away as possible. And while this vortex is kind of cleaning out all the cutesy X-babies, the real X-babies are in serious danger of disappearing as well. So it's time for some teamwork. Planetary uses this. This gets really like uh, I think used to always call it on like Star Trek. It'd be like kind of like the tech talk uh, Deus Ex Machina where they have to come up with something real quick to get him out of this bad situation. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he has a gravity, a gravity stabilizer that can regulate gravitational pull. And, of course, Wally can do multiplication spells. So he does that and replicates it. So everybody who's a goodie gets a stabilizer. Everybody else gets sucked through this hole. And this is another one where it's got cameos galore. And unlike the X-Men, I, I know the bulk of these. So we have Cokie Monster. Uh, like Jack pointed out earlier, we get Mini Marvel's Hawkeye. And that was kind of like uh, one of those things that in the olden days would have been on the Bullseye Bulletin page. They would have like a little three, four page uh, panel comic. Oh, like Chris Giarusso or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and it was kind of a thing up until this point. I think it was kind of on its way out to be honest with you because i think this is this is the era when something like a superhero squad was coming in and the mini marvels uh, you know kind of seen the last of them marvels actually had like a little mini panel in superhero squad i know like oh they did so they kept going for a while well there you go so anyway mini marvels hawkeye uh easy reader mr rogers and captain kangaroo were some of the other cameos so four bush man too Oh, I missed that one. Yep. That's what I'm Warburg saying. Man it's, it's, punches one of the babies. Yep. It's just packed full of these <laughs> these cameos. And the idea, I think, was like, these are characters that that are cool for kids. You know, not this, like, 
gross babified stuff that's just you know ugh, it's mush it's got no flavor these are like the stuff that we grew up on that you know challenge kids they're good for kids have kids thinking but they're not talking down and dumbing it down so anyway so it works but there's a couple of loose ends left so what are they going to do about Veach? well of course they're going to throw him into the portal so between top dog and colossus he gets thrown into the portal spiral wakes up and she finds herself surrounded by the ogbx babies and they're the new bosses. Want to make something of it? And this is obviously an homage to uh, Justice League number one's cover because you kind of have that kind of upturned looking down onto the faces. You even have uh, Wolverine doing the crossed arms kind of like Guy Gardner. Um, ooh, I just realized he would be Guy Gardner. That would make Cyclops uh, obviously Batman, wouldn't it? It would. There you go. It's a perfect setup. Nice little homage. I didn't catch it the first time I read it. I didn't. Well, I thought... Wolverine says want to make something of it in the in the homage, and I believe that's what he also says on the cover, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Guy Gardner does. Yep. So anyway, now it's time for all our star friends to go home, and to me, it looks like they're trying to set up a potential future series uh, for each of these. So Wally's first, but instead of going back to the past, he ends up uh, in modern day California. Marlin is kind of this talking floaty head thing, a la the professor from Firestorm. Firestorm, he, yeah. Yeah. And he scolds him and tells him that he needs to return home and quit mucking around in the time stream. But Wally hears a woman screaming for help and he's off to save this damsel in distress. Little neat note, there's a poster on a wall and it shows a film starring Wonder Man and Adam Sandler. So there's your Easter egg for that page. Lots of Easter eggs in this, these last couple issues. <laughs> um, Planetary leaves to return uh, to look for his folks. He gets on the radio once he gets back into space and talks to Omnis and Rabata, gives him an update, and he's approached by these two Gorch fellows who ask his business, and they accuse him of being a Cree. That's a nice little nod to the Marvel Universe. He leaves immediately as they assume he's hostile. He rejoins his crew and... Just heads off, you know, keep looking for his parents. Next up is old Roy. And uh, the nice little thing they kind of do with him, he's kind of bonded throughout the series with Colossus. And I'm assuming maybe this because they're both supposed to be like Eastern European or something, you know, being that Colossus is from the Soviet Union. But they, it, it's almost like they got some kind of wavelength that they're both on. And I don't know if that's where they're coming from with that or what. Uh, and like I mentioned in the intro, he returns to cashier, so he's not going back to, what was it, Cash-a-Lot? Trying to make it more le- realistic, they gave it a more real-sounding place. And when he gets to cashier, it's in ruins. Archduke Craven has staged a coup and seized control of the, the cashier, and his parents are missing. Uh, interesting note, when he's getting debriefed about the situation, Wakanda has offered support, and Latveria has offered sanctuary for the royal family. I thought that was pretty nice of old Doom. You know, he wouldn't just (laughs) offer sanctuary for anybody. But Roy, of course, he's a hero. He refuses to flee, and he's going to fight, and uh, he's going to stay there and fight for his people. Last of the star characters, Top Dog, is heading home, and he gets to Project MRX and finds that it's been compromised, and the agent he had worked with, Agent Morrison, is giving him the breakdown. And all of a sudden, the safe house where they were at explodes. But luckily, Top Dog is able to get Morrison to safety. Um, but Morrison says, you got to take this data card and get it somewhere safe. There's only one place that can be. Where's that going to be, Kirk? I don't know. 
northern New Jersey, top dog barges into the home oh, of yeah, you... okay. Joey Jordan. So I'm, we got I'm, top dog back I'm with Joey. Out. Yeah. Middle-aged Joey Jordan sitting there on his keister, and here comes Top Dog again for the first time in 20-plus years. Uh, so lastly, back in Mojo World, we say goodbye to Hawkeye as he's sent back by Spiral. Ex-babies settle in to have some well-deserved rest and watch how things are going on Earth for their friends. But that gets boring. So it's time to have their own adventures. Spiral opens a portal, and here we go. And this sets up the further adventures of Storm, Rogue, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, call me, and it's not call me Kate in this one, sorry. That's, <laughs> not in this that's, one. That's Chris's deal. Uh, Kitty and Cyclops, and the end. So I just want to give a random plug for the uh, the collections we were talking about earlier. There was three volumes of the Star Comics All Star Collections. If you don't want to, you know, read them on an app, or if you don't want to track down the individual issues, these are pretty handy. There's three of them. Each one has two issues of Royal Roy, Wally, and Planetary, and I think that's the bulk of those runs. And they also have three issues of Top Dog, and they came from Marvel uh, between 2009 and 2010, and they ran about $20 uh, cover price. So when I got done with reading this, like I, I mentioned to you guys, I was like, this really felt like they were setting up new series to me. Oh, yeah. Like it, they, they've got Wally in a whole new situation and apparently he's lost his glasses that he never had. And, <laughs> he, he, you know, you've got Joey Jordan as a middle aged man back with Top Dog. And so I reached out to Greg Shegel and I asked him a couple of questions and he was super nice and got back to me. And so I'm just going to basically tell you the questions I asked him and uh, what he said. So. The first thing I asked him was, was there any intention of bringing the star characters back and would they have been part of the 616? And here's what he told me. I had ideas for both a sequel to the new miniseries uh, with the X-Babies, which, like I said, it seemed like they were going to have, as well as the notion as a way to do more with the new star characters, i.e., you know, the the relaunches he's done with them, which he he would have pitched if the sales and interest it had merited it. But alas, this was not the case. But the idea was to pitch Star Comics Quarterly, a quarterly 80-page book with four 20-page stories in each issue, featuring Top Dog, Royal Roy, Wally the Wizard, and Planetary. I even had ideas for creative teams for each property. I figured each four to five parts would be collected as their own separate 80 to 100-page kid graphic novels. Oh, the ambition I had. As for whether they be their own thing or in the 616, we and Jacob... Uh, the artist of the mini, and I were thinking we could, they would totally be in the 616. Looking back on those pages as the various characters return to their real worlds, there's a panel on the Wally page where th- there's a movie poster for Simon Williams, which is Wonder Man, Cree get mentioned in Planetary, and both Wakanda and Latveria get mentioned on the Royal, Ro- Royal Roy page, even though nothing was on the Top Dog page, apparently. So then I asked him, was there a reason that Spider-Ham was a cameo only? And this is what he told me. Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Ham, excuse me, was a cameo only because all the all the many background characters were absolutely just that. They were meant to be background characters to fill the space of other kid-friendly entertainment that someone like Mr. Veach would deem bad or inappropriate or whatever reason that makes no sense. So in that panel, you see Spider-Ham. There's a, a appearance from Hawkeye from Chris's Mini Marvels, some 
Cookie Monster character, Easy Rider from Easy Reader. <laughs> no Easy Rider. That'd be a whole different one. That, that's a whole different reference. And he was Captain America, though, if I remember it right. Uh, Easy Reader from Electric Company, Mr. Rogers, Captain Kangaroo. Other cameos over the sequence are Pee Wee Herman. I missed that one. Uh, I didn't see that Forbush, one either, yeah. Yeah, Forbush Man, which you mentioned. I missed that one. I can't remember who the orange dragon was supposed to represent. I also missed that one. Uh, though, speaking of Spider-Ham, the existence of this X-Babies miniseries happened because of a Spider-Man, a Spider-Ham pitch that never flew. Uh, so actually, I, he had mentioned and he, he sent me a whole article about it. I'm not going to go into it here. If we ever do something with Spider-Ham, we'll talk about it. That uh, he had plans for a whole Spider-Ham universe, a la like in Marvel Tales where he had Thunder Bunny. And I don't remember what Captain America had or something like that. Goose but, you know, Rider. Had, Goose Rider. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, then I asked him, uh, what were his favorite characters? Because to me, when I'm reading it it really came across that he really liked Wolverine and it, I felt like he had a soft spot for top dog. Cause like I was saying, when uh, he was covering top dog, he was the only one who wasn't kind of a turd in the initial storyline. And then of the last setups, I think he was the only one who got two pages cause everybody else, you know, had, had one page. But anyway, he said on the X babies front, I'll tell you, I was traditionally more of an Avengers kid than an X-Men kid. I, I relate to him on that one. I always, was more of an Avengers kid, too. So I don't know if I had any faves going in. I like the bit of business where Wolverine had fake cuss words. That is funny. I like writing him and Cyclops bickering. I think that was everybody's favorite. Yes. As I kept going, Rogue kind of became the, my overall favorite, though. And I could see that, too. I lo- Like I say, I love the scene where she just, she just really gets into everything. Yes. On the star front, I reread all those original star comics before writing this. So very quickly, Top Dog was my favorite, which didn't change throughout the series. Though in their super cutesy forms, Wally and Marlin and the Alphabot were very fun. And lastly, as a thank you, since he was nice enough to give me all this information, I asked him, you know, is there anything you're working on? And he said, is there a project I've put out into this world? Yes, it's comic adjacent, a series of kids chapter books with my animal superhero concept, Superhero Universe. There's a coloring book and the first book just dropped this last week so you know if you're interested he's still doing stuff he's still working on all ages material and that's greg shegel at gregshegel.com or, or on twitter at greg shegel you didn't ask him the most important question though what was that where was meet misty oh you're right I should <laughs> where was misty oh we, we need to know where misty was oh okay hey, i'll tell you what if we do a follow-up <laughs> i'll ask him he, 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 he was real kind of giving with his time, so. I was surprised they didn't have Power Pack. They seemed like cried around a bit. Power Pack had some of those Marvel adventure books, uh, I believe, around this era, didn't they, Chris? Uh, yeah. They, and yeah. they also had, uh, like, Digest as well. Yeah, like, and uh, that's how they collected this um, yeah. when they did it. It was very bare bones, and I think, it, you know, it, which was smart. Uh, I think they were trying to tap into that market that has – really over time kind of left Marvel and that's the tween and under, you know? Yeah. They, they've never marketed it right. That's like, they right. can't figure out if they're still trying to sell like comics or if they're trying to sell kid material where right. like you'll, you'll take something like this and you won't put it in the kids section of the bookstore. <laughs> right. Like, and that's like, ridiculous. That's where the kids are. Go there, do that. It's, it's odd. Yeah. I'm sure in some situations it is there, but for my experience, I've seen it just like next to Watchmen. <laughs> That's not and, where it's going to look. 
I think this one to me, um, I re- this is my second time reading it. I read it a few years ago, and uh, you're a you're an X Men fan, Chris, and mm-hmm. Kirk and I always talk about the old Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And I reread this, and I, and I was like, it really hit me the second go round what he was trying to do here, because I don't think it did the first time. I was just like. I was okay, but I really appreciate. I I think he genuinely was trying to create a way for Marvel to reach those kids, and yeah. I wonder if it's almost kind of ahead of its time because DC's doing a lot of that now, where they're just sure. taking this and putting out straight graphic novels for kids to to teens, and um, I think that's where this would have gone if it had if it had taken off. That's where it should have gone. Yeah, right. I, I just don't know that. You know, I got a I got an email today that I, I that I'll be covering on on a show tomorrow that is uh, comparing the uh, the Marvel Unlimited Infinity Comics with what DC is doing over at Webtoons, and the uh, the point of the the letter was like it seems like DC is a little bit more forward thinking in right. putting putting their comics where people are already receiving digital comics where Marvel is like still kind of in that comic book store mentality where it's like yeah, we've got digital stuff, but you need to come to our app to get it. Right. You know, I, I don't know that that Marvel's really broken away from that sort of mentality, which I think when you look at a bookstore market where DC is, you know, they are they're doing things that that I really couldn't care less about with the young adult stuff. But I'm sure there's sure. a market for it. Right. I'm sure there's a market for it. And they're marketing it well. They're marketing where it needs to be. They're putting it in the kids section. They're putting it in the young adult section. Marvel and it's getting into libraries, it. I can tell you that, too. Well, there you we, go. We have all that stuff. That I mean, and that's important. That's right. really important. because, And then if it goes in the libraries, it might pop up on Hoopla. So it'll be free on digital. I mean, it's, right. there, there's some really uh, forward-thinking stuff going on with Mar- with DC in as far as reaching this, this particular demographic. I just don't know that Marvel's there yet. I don't know that they ever will be before it's too late. And, and Jack, you are a reader of this age that we're talking about. Yeah. If you didn't have a comic book dad, I don't know how you would read stuff. Do any of your friends read comics on apps or? Oh, uh, yeah, my friend does. But that was probably because he got into it because of the movies. Okay. Yeah. So like the Marvel stuff? Yeah, Marvel and Marvel. Okay. So and you read a lot of Shonen Jump. Off the app, and that's another thing, Chris. I don't know if you 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 have read manga in the past. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're keeping up with the newer stuff, but you you get two bucks a month. You get everything that Shonen Jump has. Oh, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, yeah. it's such a great value. I mean, even just a like a Tangabana volume, you're getting 300 pages for 10 bucks. Right. That's that's an excellent value. It's, the crazy exactly. thing is, I think Tangabans have gone down in price. That wouldn't surprise me. Wow, because I feel like originally they were fifteen dollars in the nineties. Oh yeah, when they were, because that's when they flipped them. They would flip the art, so there was a little bit of a value-added cost there. When they started doing it like uh, right to left, it Mm -hmm. uh, the prices came down substantially. Okay, because that's interesting to me. You look at graphic novels; Mm -hmm. they keep going up and up and up the price. Where to the point, like, uh, even Image doesn't always do the intro volumes anymore, the $10 ones. Yeah. yeah, that was nice. I wish they still did that. Oh, yeah. Because it, it gives you a nice barrier to break through to try their book. But mm-hmm. that yeah, said. Yeah, well, I took advantage of that many times. Yeah, I Definitely. mean, you've got somebody, Jack is 13. Yep. You read. 
but you also listen to music. You have a lot of different interests and you don't have a job per se. So you're not going to be able to get just everything. Mm -hmm. So you're going to read. He reads a lot of stuff through the library. He reads some stuff through me. Excuse me. And he reads a lot of digital stuff. So, I mean, one single issue of this comic that we just covered now was four dollars. I couldn't believe that when you said that. I thought they were for sure in that era. It was going to be a two ninety nine one. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want, you know, knock on wood. I mean, Marvel's been really good about holding to that three ninety nine, it seems. Right. But, um, yeah, four dollars for for a book. That's not a that's not an impulse buy anymore. No, you know, that's not a curiosity buy. And it's unfortunate that the only people who would actually go to a store to buy this are the ones that are that I don't think the writer is trying to reach. I'm, I'm sure there's a nostalgic era bent to it, of course. Sure. But I mean, as a mission statement and as a like a, a new pa- a new coat of paint on some of these characters and these concepts with uh, with you know grand designs on fleshing it out into its own universe it's it's overpriced you it know is. and and as you know as we talked about like one of the issues was just a fight <laughs> and right like, i don't know how you're gonna i don't know I, I i don't want to turn into the old man but it's like you spend 65 cents on one of these star comics back then you get a story right, right. you spend four bucks and you get part of a, a story. piece a piece yeah. it's like watching a, a few minutes of a movie before you have to go somewhere absolutely well you basically got a fight scene and uh, and five previews yeah yep because that's you literally got the resolution of a fight and then previews for five potential series that sadly didn't come to fruition it's unfortunate and i mean the x babies they came back shortly after this okay unfortunately it was in x babies versus a babies uh the (sighs) tie-in to avengers versus x-men where Marvel was in full temper tantrum mode trying to squash the X-Men as best they could. Let, so. let me tell you, though, you got a, a big fan of that in the room right now, because that was that was one of the first ones that you collected all the issues of, wasn't it, Jack? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think uh, him and Henry both, my youngest, have read that one back and forth. And oh, that's well, one I can th- understand that if uh, yeah. just coming into it as an X-Men fan, yeah. it's it was tough because sure. you see. You see someone like Beast and Wolverine being like, okay, who are we going to side with? It's like, what do you mean who are you going to side with? Yeah, you <laughs> got to be kidding me. <laughs> Beast, maybe, but Wolverine? Yeah. Beast has been all over the map, I- sure. I'll say, but come on. I mean, didn't yeah. Beast end up with the Inhumans or something stupid in one of those? He hung around with the Inhumans trying to solve the Terrigen Mists. Oh, give me a break. So <laughs> X-Men so versus in- Inhumans, he-, he picks the – oh, now we're on a total another tangent. <laughs> Now, that's what happens when we start talking comics. Um, but um, so let's kind of give uh, our thoughts on it. Uh, Jack, what did what did you end up thinking of the series? I liked it. Yeah. What was your favorite parts? Uh, I really liked how the Star Comics characters were portrayed. I haven't read much of that, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. And I really liked the art styles throughout. I really liked how they portrayed like the individuals and stuff. Cool. Uh, Kirk. What's your final thoughts? Well, reading it as a trade, I really enjoyed it. If I had just bought it issue by issue and read that, I would have been mad, kind of expanding on Chris's thoughts where you spend $4 and you only get a piece of the story. And that's one of my biggest complaints about all modern comics. Sure. It was a thrill to see the Star Comics characters back, especially Top Dog, and he 
he was cool throughout. Whereas in the beginning reading this, I was like, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. This is right. sing, singing, <laughs> rapping planetary is not my planetary. So yeah. That, I thought they were but, making fun of us. I, well, honestly, I thought this, this guy's never read planetary and, you know, right. but then it, then you come to find out, yeah, he's read this. This is good. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'd end up giving it at least three and a half out of five stars if I was reviewing it online. You know, that's another good argument for uh, the problem with single issues versus if he had been able to do it as a as a young adult graphic novel. Is issue two would have took me out so bad I probably wouldn't have gotten issue three. Right. If I were buying it, you know, week to week. Yeah, because the singing, dancing, rapping planetary I'd have been like, he's never read this. This is not my planetary. You, yep. you guys have fun. Yeah, I'd have been done. All right, Chris, what'd you think? I thought it was uh, very cute, very fun. Um, I loved all the cameos. Uh, I am a huge fan of lore, so bringing Star Comics characters into the 616, you know, despite the fact that I don't have quite that much nostalgia for the characters, I, I love the idea of it. I'm the kind of person who still wants the Ultraverse characters to show up in Marvel at some point. You know, I, I want <laughs> I want all I want everything coming together and to see that the effort was put into it to like in a logical and organic way, drop these characters into into a new status quo in the real quote unquote real world. I mean, I mean, how much fun is that? Oh, you know, totally. I mean, the, and they set it up if you'd have had Wally. And you might need to tweak how they what they called each other like he did with Roy changing it to Delroy. Sure. But you could have had Wally with the runaways and it would have made perfect sense. Oh, 100 percent. Just a little bit of tweaking like it was already almost there. And that was one of the few really breakout tween series of that era that mm-hmm. um, I think really did do well in the kind of the graphic novel digest form. It did. When it was coming yeah. out. Mm hmm. But uh, I think it's come across. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, my my second go around, it was it was more than what I thought it was going into it. And and I read it with a little more thought. And after speaking to the, the gentleman, Greg, uh, I really enjoyed it. So, well, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for being here and taking the time and discussing this with me. And I will have to find another thing that cross interests work with everybody again and sounds uh, good to me well Chris, the only Chris my only letdown is that sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> my my only letdown is i kept trying to get henry to read it so we could get his little two-minute spiel that he does for us sometimes on what he thought it and he's like i'm not into ex-babies I'm like, come <laughs> on just give it a try it's like uh no maybe some other time he's really into uh, tiny titans and Mm-hmm. And we've been watching the Super Sentai, so he's liking that right now. So if I can get him to rabbit hole on the next <laughs> topic we hit, that'd be great. So why don't uh, we uh, do a little promo for ourselves real quick. Kirk, where can we find you, and is there anything you want to talk about before we go? I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Big5Army. Uh, I usually post about war comics, but I like all comics, like food. And I'm always behind on everything. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad you guys invited me because I really enjoy talking comics since my family just rolls their eyes when I mention comic books. 
And Chris, you've got, mm-hmm. oh my God, you've got how many pies go into have uh, every day of the week? You've got, a show, you've got a show for us every day, which I, I really want to say thank you. Knowing that every day I could find Chris on Infinite Earth and there's a podcast, <laughs> there's a blog throughout this pandemic has really been a blessing. And I really appreciate all the hard work you put in. So thank let's you. hear a plug for you too, buddy. Certainly, certainly. Uh, like you just said, you can find me at Chris's on Infinite Earths. That's where my blog posts and show notes go. Uh, the entire archive of audio is at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Uh, the daily show, or the mostly daily show, is uh, X-Lapsed, where I take a look at all the current year stuff. Uh, name comes from the fact that I uh, walked away from the X-Men in, ni- in 19, no, 2016, not 1916. Uh, 2016, <laughs> I walked away. And I, I kind of threw my own temper tantrum and uh, th- for the first time in 30 years, dropped all the X-Men books and came back in 2019 because I always come back and uh, had to figure out a way to kind of get myself to read these books that I was started collecting again. And, you know, as content creators, we know that when you do a show about something, you got to read it. So uh, it was, uh, you know, an A to B sort of thing. So almost every day is X-Lapsed. When I'm through with new books, we go into the essential X-Lapsed, where we take a look at the Silver Age, uh, starting with X-Men number one, and all of the X-Men's appearances in, you know, in Fantastic Four, in, you know, a mutant shows up in Nick Fury, we're covering it. It's the whole whole spiel from uh, from the essential X-Lapsed. There's also X-Lapsed point one, which is going through Marvel history with a mutant point of view, starting with... Uh, motion Picture Funnies number one, the first appearance of Namor the Submariner, the first mutant in Marvel history. And uh, that has been a real eye-opening uh, thing to read. I've never read the Namor Golden Age Adventures. Have you guys read any of those? I have. And, man, the artwork alone, it's, it's, it's almost otherworldly the way it, it looks. It is. And it is insane. <laughs> I remember it's really violent. <laughs> he, he, his second panel, he kills somebody. Yeah. Yeah. He is killing people left and right, throwing people out to, out of the Statue of Liberty, out out the crown. <laughs> you know, he is going insane. So that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, I try to vary up Sunday shows. Uh, we have a preacher show called To the Choir, where uh, Dave Schultz and I are starting to uh, go through the preacher series from DC Vertigo. First time I've ever read Preacher. I've got the run, never read it. This gives me reason to do it. Uh, me and uh, me and Ed Moore are doing a show based on the Maze Agency from Comico, Comico, eventually Innovation. <laughs> um, right, Innovation and, Agency. <laughs> yes, that's an easy one, and uh, we're covering that in a show called Maze Lighting. And uh, me and Chris Bailey are still working through uh, the Marvel epic run of Elf Quest in Quester Days. So uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on, and uh, you can find all of it at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or Chris is on Infinite Earths, and I am on Twitter at Ace Comics. Okay, Jack, where can they hit you up on Twitter? At in underscore garlic. And we are 21st Century Boys. That's at 21STCEN Boys on Twitter. And I am at Iowa's Joe on Twitter. So once again, thank you guys so much for stopping in. I had a blast. And... Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Anytime. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Have a good night. You too. See ya. When you rule, it's kind of weird and you wish that you
Everything all right in here? Yes, Nanny. 